Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki, and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey, welcome. So if you guys have been enjoying my podcast, I would be eternally grateful for you if you could leave a review for me. That would help me out a lot. Please and thank you. Okay, in our last episode, we talked about body parts and genitalia and how to talk about the hard stuff. And I think there's a terribly important message here in addition to all the stuff we talked about. And that is that we don't want to imbue any sense of shame in our kids for their body parts. Yes, to have a healthy sex life. Yes, to have a healthy attitude towards their own bodies. But the bigger thing at play here is we live in a fucked up world. It's our job to keep our kids safe, and yet there's no way to keep them completely sheltered and safe without totally fucking them up, okay? They are going to be out of your sight at certain times. They cannot be under your eye every second of every day. That is damaging even if you were to attempt it and succeed, which is highly unlikely. So we have to talk about how to talk to your little ones about creepy ass people who may have bad intentions for your child. I know that this is scary and yucky and tricky shit because I know for sure you are already full of anxiety about keeping your kids safe. I have parents, particularly dads, who straight up tell me I want to keep them in a box, in a bubble. They are crazy about keeping their kids safe. You guys, this affects everything. This affects their relationship, right? I have dads who are like coming down on moms. Why did that child get hurt? Where were you? That's kind of insane. Like our kids are going to be out of our sight at certain times. Yeah. We cannot keep a child safe 100% from all injury, from all harm. It has huge ramifications on the other side of it. In addition, this will absolutely make you insane thinking you have the ability to keep them 100% safe. And that's not good either. An insane parent really isn't good for the child. This episode really is going to be a hard one. It's going to be an important one. And I want to stress a few things. It's going to be about minimizing risk, but minimizing our perception of risk. And also, how do we actually talk to our kids about the risk because you you have to. You have to talk about what we're trying to protect them from and how to eke out that information over the ages so as not to give too much information and not worry your child. One of the things that makes assholes able to abuse your kids, and you guys, I'm going to be using all kinds of foul language because talking about perpetrators just makes my head explode. So So be prepared for all the curse words this episode. (laughs) So anyway, assholes are able to abuse kids because they manipulate fear and shame, okay? They manipulate fear and shame. So if you can't talk to your kids about their body parts without fear and shame yourself, you are making it shameful. So you got to get a grip on that. Should something happen to your child or your child is in a bad situation, the perpetrator can use that fear and shame as an in. So it's vital we allow our kids to talk shamelessly about all things concerning their body. I hope you can see this. I know that this is um 
talking about this stuff is really personal and talking about body parts and genitalia and sex and all that is also very personal. And, and you may have some foundational beliefs, beliefs, um, spiritual or religious beliefs, but it is imperative that we talk shamelessly about this stuff. But let's break down all the fears, the fears of safety, the fears that I see in parents that are making parents kind of cuckoo. Yeah. Let's start with the big one, the easiest one, fear of kidnapping. Yeah, we all have this this fear. And statistically, I think you probably know this, statistically, kidnapping is so rare. Most kidnapping cases are custody cases. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children quote that on average, there are about 305 quote unquote kidnappings a year. Roughly 74 million children under the age of 12. And in that 99.9 of those 305 quote unquote kidnappings, 99.8 of those the child is found quickly and alive. Okay, so stranger kidnapping is so rare. The biggest problem, of course, is we have social media and a 24-hour news cycle that puts it into our consciousness over and over and over again. So our perception of the risk is super high. I want to read off a huge thing from reason.com about kidnappings and break it down again to minimize perception of risk. There were just 105 stereotypical kidnappings in America between late 2010 and 2011, which was the last period for which they got collected data. For reference, at that point in time, there were 73 million children in America that year. Okay, so 105 out of 73 million. Out of that 105, 65 of these kidnappings were committed by strangers. Less than half involved the abduction of a child under the age of 12. Okay, so we're talking 30, 30 kidnappings. Only 14% of these cases were open after one week, and 92% of victims were recovered or returned alive. So it's like point. Zero zero one percent a stranger kidnapping. Okay, just for reference, last year seven hundred and twenty three children died in car crashes. I don't even want to quote the school shooting statistics. Okay, so your child is way more in danger in a car, and your child is way more in danger going to school. And I know that's a horrible statistic, and I know it's something that when none of us want to think about. But the reality is we have to look this dead in the face, okay, so that we minimize the perception of risk because what's happening is parents are getting so anxious because they're wrapping their heads around the wrong things, okay? Now, why do we still send our kids to school? Because homeschooling isn't for everyone because keeping your child home and trying to educate them at home if you don't want to, we know isn't going to work. We know it's damaging. We know that for the most part, for most kids, the, the school system works. We're going to send our child to school to be educated, even though we know currently school shootings are a high risk. What do we do? We minimize. We teach children what to do in an active shooter situation. A lot of schools are getting, you know, all these things, you know, doors that lock, all these blockings. I, I hate this. I hate that that our children are subject to this, but we are minimizing the risk. And what I'm trying to point out is we don't immediately stop sending our child to school because of that risk, right? And we also look around and even though a lot of children are dying, still out of the amount of schools, the risk is like not that crazy. 
Same thing with cars. We not, we're not going to ditch cars because more children die in car crashes, right? We don't do that. We need to use cars. So what do we do? We minimize the risk. We use good car seats. We make sure our child's buckled in safely. We drive the speed limit. We don't text when we drive. We minimize the risks, right? So I just want to, you know, state those statistics because I have so many parents who are just freaked out about kidnappings. Now, let's move on to the next aspect of kidnapping that currently is so hot in our 24-hour news cycle, which is human trafficking. Yes, human trafficking exists. Yes, it's probably the most disgusting thing I can think of on the planet. But you guys, we have to stay level in this collective fear because I see so much fear-mongering on social media and it's feeding your anxiety, okay? Yes, it exists. But these douchebags are not stalking your kid in Target where there are video cameras, okay? They are not stalking your kid in Ikea where there are video cameras, where you are there, okay? So there's just this fear-mongering, and I think it's happening because we have these mommy bloggers, and these articles go viral, and they get a lot of attention, and it's sad that that's where our society is. But I'm telling you right now, guys, these asswipes are targeting runaways. They're targeting kids in awful situations who are out looking for love, looking for trouble. That doesn't make it any less gross. I understand that. But they are not in your playgrounds, okay? They're looking for kids who won't be missed. And the sad reality about human trafficking is that it's really like preteen and early teenage kids that they're after, okay? They're not really looking for toddlers. And I know that it's just sick that we even have to talk about this. But again, to minimize your perception of risk, we have to stay level because making shit up doesn't help either, okay? Or exacerbating our own anxiety. I've mentioned Lenore Skenazy in a couple of other episodes. She runs Free Range Parenting and LetGrow.com. She is awesome. She is constantly running statistics and uh, real life tips to help manage the anxiety, to help to separate out the, the truth from fiction, and the exaggerations. And she really, she's got to, she's got to stick up her ass about these, about these kids who, uh, these mommy bloggers who are like going crazy saying, you know, their kids were followed in Target or whatever. So I think she's really awesome about that. She also, one of the things that I got from her is she, she gives you tips for how to look up things in your own town. So for example, in my town, I looked up and there has never, ever been a stranger kidnapping ever. Never been a stranger kidnapping. So, you know, that's good to know. That just helps minimize my perception of risk. Yeah. We have to do our own research so we don't become fearful helicopter parents filling our kids with anxiety about stranger danger, right? We can't be on top of them and we can't constantly be shoving down their throat. Stranger danger. You have to be cautious. You have to be cautious. Yeah. So that segues very nicely into actual stranger danger. Those words. This was a campaign started in the 1960s, and even though we still use these words, it was a pretty big flop as a government campaign, probably like all the other government campaigns, like just say no to drugs, right? But there's a couple of problems with stranger danger. First off, the obvious, which is not every stranger is dangerous. In fact, most aren't. Knowing who the good people are is just as important as who the bad guys are. 
When you feel like you're in a sticky situation, being able to talk to a stranger is key. Being able to ask a stranger for help, key. Police just aren't sitting around waiting to help your kid, right? And uh, it was really funny. The other day I was in the market and I was waiting in line at the deli counter and there was this little boy and, you know, it's always chilly over by the deli counter. And there was this little boy and he looked, he was, he was shivering and he was kind of exaggerating his shivering. And I looked down and I said, oh man, it gets chilly over here. I kid you not, this kid plants his feet, hands on his hips, screams out, don't you talk to me, stranger. (laughs) I'm like, whoa. And I'm a pretty friendly person. Like, I don't give off a weird vibe. I don't think I do anyway. But this kid had been sort of like indoctrinated that like, don't talk to anybody. And it was fun. The mom, you know, the mom was like, honey, she's just being nice. You don't have to, you know, not every stranger. The mom was like, not every stranger is bad, you know. But it really brought home for me that we're teaching the wrong thing, right? Because you want to be able to tell the good people from the bad people. And if you put this blanket on all strangers are bad, your child may find themselves in a sticky situation where they do need help from a stranger. But here's a really tricky part. And this is interesting because I hadn't thought about this till recently. The flip side of stranger danger is, you know, of course, not all strangers are dangerous, but also all people you know aren't safe. I'll say that again. All people you know aren't safe. And that's where the real damage comes in, right? Because a really disturbing fact about abuse is that it is almost always someone you know. It is almost always someone your child knows and trusts, right? And so then we think, well, if they're stranger danger, then everybody I know is safe, Which brings us to that really disturbing fact. So I often have to do abuse trainings for, you know, I work with kids in all capacities. And I just did a new one with our little league. You know, I'm a baseball coach in addition to other things. (laughs) And I had to do this abuse training and it was one I had never taken before. And it was very comprehensive. Maybe you've taken one of these. If you work in any capacity with kids, you've probably had to take something similar But I thought one of the best things that came out of this training was the gentleman leading it said, you want to create a culture in your organization, and and this goes for your family, you want to create a culture of no secrets. So really, 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 there are no secrets because secrets, that's how an abuser gets in, right? If you create a culture of secrecy in your organization or household or allow secrets, then the perpetrator potentially has a bigger in. And this can be, you know, it's easier in an organization. You can say like, I don't keep any secrets as a coach, but in a family, I think this gets a little trickier, right? And so that might mean there's no secrets between the child and mommy that daddy doesn't know about or things like that. There's no secrets and try not to, you know, of course you and your spouse are going to absolutely have secrets that you don't tell your child, but you want to make sure that the child is sort of unaware of those. So we create this, this culture of no secrecy. And I think that goes a long way. We also want to create a culture where it's okay to say no. And this is a widely circulated, I've seen many, many blogs and I love them all. It's okay for your child to say no to hugs, no to kisses, no to contact, even with people that we super love. And they don't have to hug anyone. They don't have to kiss anyone. Giving your child the ability to say no to people they know can go a long way in protecting them. 
This again gets a little murky though, because they know you, we understand, yeah, we're going into a party. Your child doesn't have to give kisses to Aunt Mildred if she doesn't want to. That's a clearer thing. It's harder though when it's like your child's in a mood or it's grandma and grandma comes down on the kid or, oh my God, I've seen all kinds of things, including from my own mom, which is like, fine, if you don't give me a hug, then I'm not going to blah, 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 you know, this sort of bribery. So it is sticky. And I think it's also sticky because we want to create the culture in our own houses, not just with extended family and friends. We want to create this culture of it's okay to dissent. Yeah, it's okay to say no to authority. Because again, a lot of abuse is perpetrated by an authority figure that the child doesn't realize they can say no. So this goes back to that very respectful parenting is how do we teach our kids how to say no in a respectful way. And this, you know, if your child's two or three, mm, this it's more about boundaries at that age. But as your child grows, we want to give them the opportunity to say no, to discuss things, to negotiate. It's not going to be all the time. It's not going to be over every little thing, but we want to make sure we're giving them pockets that they can say no to authority. And we want to teach them that and how to do that in a way that is effective, right? So just saying no to your parents because you don't want to do something is not effective. However, arguing your case, and Pascal is a genius at this. This kid has been able to talk his way out of a paper bag. Like I was like, oh, he's going to be a politician or a lawyer or something because he really was always able to state very clearly his his reasons for whatever it was. And I I had told him early on, I was like, you can cry all you want. Crying is never going to get you a thing. So if I say no and you cry, it's not happening. If I say no and you like lay out your reasoning, we can then discuss it. And he's, oh, he always wins. <laughs> he can talk circles around me. So anyway, we want to create that culture where it's okay to say no. And this might flip some of your buttons on respect. And in my private clients and in my book, I have a whole big exercise about learning your values and your value systems. And when your child shakes those core values, that's when you're usually a reactive parent. And respect is always high on the list that our children should respect us. So we want to, we want to dance around our own feelings about saying no, questioning authority, dissent, but also what that means for us and our family. And there, I have no pat solution for this. It's really a dance. It's about learning when to give your child negotiating power and when not to. Here's another dynamic, though, in protecting our kids. And this, I see, I see it, especially as women, this happens. We tend to gloss over people who make us uncomfortable. We tend to giggle. We tend to play shy, avoid eye contact. We just, we, but we stay comfortable in a situation, not comfortable. We stay in a situation that makes us uncomfortable, right? And so we don't, when we feel like somebody's making us uncomfortable, we don't make the broad stroke moves to get away from that. And this is something I'm learning. I Oh my God, I was so guilty of this, like especially in my 30s, like, oh, like just kind of laughing off when somebody made me uncomfortable, especially if I was like in a public place. But we can model this for our little ones and I'm working on it. We, we can make a stink when someone is in our space. We can be loud and rude when someone is being creepy. Even if it's your uncle, I don't know what it is, but it seems like every family I've ever talked to has a creepy, a creepy person in it. And usually it's an uncle, but it could be anybody. Yeah. You get to be loud and rude. If someone's really making innuendos, if they're in your personal space, 
if they're like being creepy, their hands are a little wandering, whatever it is. Yeah. You get to be loud and rude, even if it's family. Out in public, you can cross the street for no other reason than, you know what, honey, I have a funny feeling about those people walking towards us. I would just like to cross the street or I just have a funny feeling about this person. Cultivate and be vocal about your intuition. Cultivate and be vocal about funny feelings. That's the best gauge, right? We all know when it happens. And I trust that more than anything else. We want to help your child learn to cultivate that and trust that intuition. Like, "Mm, so-and-so is just giving me a funny feeling. It's okay to walk away. It's okay to run away. It's okay to be loud or to get help. And so I think that's something that's often left out of this talk about how to talk to our kids. When we model this for our kids, they can take it on, right? We don't have to smile and obey. Even with people we know and trust, we can say no. We can trust our gut. I know some people talk about like tricky people and it's the same concept, right? If you feel like somebody's tricky, you can back off. With tricky people, you still have to have the practice and the courage to say that though, to say back off. Now, as your kids get older and older, you can share more information with them, information they can handle. You know, the two and three-year-old range, really, it's enough to, as you're bathing them, as they're getting dressed, you know, this is your penis and your testicles. No one's allowed to touch them. People call them your privates, yeah? It's private. It's just for you. You don't, nobody is allowed to touch those but you and maybe your doctor if you say yes, okay? So you can talk about consent in a very light way. You can talk about it in a a way that doesn't freak your kids out, in a way that doesn't freak you out. Like nobody's allowed to touch that but you. And then as they grow, your conversation's gonna change. As they get older, like five, six, and seven, your conversations are gonna change. Things will get a little more um, detailed or a little more hardcore. It's really never too early, too late to talk to your kids about keeping them safe. The world is actually safer. Yeah. And if you go on FBI.gov, it's kind of awesome to look at all the statistics. Do yourself a favor and just kind of look up the statistics and see, because we are living in a safer world in general. It's the perception that we're not. And again, that's more than minimizing the actual risk. We want to actually minimize our perception of the risk because that is the thing that's driving us crazy. The world is safer. How we interact with it is different. And we've become very closed. We've become isolated and I would love to see that change. You know, I don't know where you live. I know there are still a lot of communities where the kids can run in packs and run like wild. I know when I was a kid, we ran in packs and there was just a huge group of us. And it was funny because I remember that the big girls talked to us littler girls and there were two houses. There were two houses in like five blocks that we played and they were like, "You, these big girls took us and like, I mean, they were mean about, it. they were like, you do not go on that porch. You do not go in that guy's house. It, it, I don't care if he gives you candy. I don't care if he offers you lemonade. You do not go even on his porch. You don't go in his yard. If you do, we'll kick your ass. So they never said sexual predator. They never said abuse. They never said anything. They never said anything specific. And it was just, you don't go on that guy's porch. And they would literally kick our ass to keep us safe. And so I think about that and I'm like, wow, we didn't even need uh, statistics. We didn't need a hotline. We had the big girls. We ran in packs and the big girls kept us safe. And of course, we don't we don't interact in the world that way, right? So it's changed. I wanted to share this recent story that happened to me 
for a couple of reasons, because I think it's a good example of how we have to dance around keeping our kids safe and keeping our kids exposed and not being the helicopter parents and not miring them and bogging them down with fear so that they don't want to make a move. This happened a couple of years ago. So Pesca was about 11 and we live in Providence and all our streets, the architecture is like the two and three family homes, like, like tenement buildings, really cool, long buildings, a lot of square footage, but still like, like stacked up houses. Right. And about five houses down, one of the apartments, one of the flats seemed to be taken over as sort of a halfway house. And I don't know I don't know what the occupants diagnoses were. They appeared to be like developmentally delayed and, you know, for lack of better term, sort of slow. Yeah. And and cognitive delays. And I would see social workers going in with lanyards. So one day, you know, we would go by the house every day. And one of the young men, his name was Steve. I think he was about 25 and he was very, very friendly, very nice guy. Um, hi, hi. He, you know, what's your name? We introduced ourselves and we would walk the dog and walk right by him. And then one day he comes to my front door with his baseball glove and he wants to play catch with Pascal in the front yard. I mean, in the front yard, we don't have a front yard, we have a street. (laughs) So he wants to play catch in the street. So I said, you know, kind of my, the hair on my neck went up, but I was like, he's a, he's a nice guy. I'm gonna just sit out here while they play catch. So they played catch and everything was great. And then I got this kind of funny feeling. And so Pascal, he had this bumper sticker over his door, Steve, and it said, hi, neighbor. It's a, it, it's something local. I, I don't know what it is, but it says, hi, neighbor. And Pascal was like, oh, Steve's so friendly. Over his door, there's a sign that says, hi, neighbor. And the hair on my neck went up again. And I was like, hmm, what's going on here? I started to think about it. And, and of course, this has no bearing on Steve's disability or his cognitive disability or whatever was going on for him, except that I could see that there was a misperception of Steve and his own age. Yeah, he wanted to play catch. He wanted to be friends with Pascal, who's 11. And I don't think I want to be very clear. I don't think there was nefarious intent on Steve's part. Very nice guy. I thought that there could be an age misperception and that could parlay into sexual activity that Steve was unaware he could be perpetrating with an 11-year-old. And again, this was based solely on a feeling, nothing Steve said or did. It was just like, wow, this is one of those situations where I could see things going south quite innocently. And so I I got really scared. So I told Pascal, I said, you know what? I would feel better about it if you didn't pass by Steve's house when you're riding your bike and he, Pascal was having the hardest time. He's like, Steve's such a nice guy. Like we played catch. He's got this sign. He always says hi to me. And Pascal was really, really fighting it that Steve was this really nice guy. And I had to go through and I was like, I think he is a nice guy. And I also think he's got some sort of developmental delay. And I think that his age perception might be off and Pascal still wasn't getting it. And at 11, We've always talked about sex and we've talked about genitalia, but we hadn't really ever edged into this abuse, you know, and I had to be pretty detail oriented with what my fears were. And Pascal took it. It was it was great. He was very um, he was like, oh, wow. OK, I understand. And then I had to like let Pascal know, you know, like sexual exploration between kids of roughly the same age is, you know, that happens and there's a normal range and there's an abnormal range. And and so 
we met, you know, he said, I, I understand. And he said, you know, what can we do? Cause I don't want to ignore Steve. And I said, you know, I would feel more comfortable if you would ride your bike on the other side of the street, give him a wave, say hello. There's no reason why you, you need to all of a sudden shut down. Steve had never done anything wrong. But I said, you know, for me, it would make me feel better if you would ride your bike on the other side of the street or just go around the block the other way. And he did and everything was fine. And, and Steve moved away. But it was it was like the first time that the hair on my neck was like, oh, and again, not based on anything but a funny feeling and not that Steve had ever done anything wrong. But I thought, wow, the potential here is is big. I also thought, you know, that it's it's a good example of sometimes we have to be brutal with the information. Yeah. And Pascal was 11. So it was easier, of course. And we have this history of talking shamelessly about the body. So it wasn't this big leap. I didn't have to talk about I didn't have to introduce like the whole notion of sex. That was already all set. I didn't have to start talking about about body parts. Right. So that's one of the things to circle back to not only the last episode, but what I opened this episode with is it makes these harder conversations later on so much easier when we're not starting from ground zero of body parts and sex talk in general. Right. And these are all just ideas, you guys. These are ideas to, I'm going to say it again, minimize our perception of the risk as well as minimize the risk. Yeah. Again, follow Lenore Skenazy, uh, letgrow.com and free range parenting. You can get actual facts in your area. And this is able to counteract the fear mongering. You guys, there's enough keeping us anxious without making shit up, without being exaggerating about it. Okay. So let's just remember that. Let's keep everything level as we can. So, yeah, this was a hard episode. I am super, super, super aware of how anxious this can make people. And I know that these kinds of topics are part of the reason. I think the best you can do is keep yourself sane and informed and really don't put your head in the sand about this shit. I I think I mentioned in the last episode, 35 years ago, kids in second grade were talking about sex. Don't keep your head in the sand about the abuse is never going to happen. It That's when it happens, you guys, when your head is in the sand, your head is up your ass, and you could be looking right at it. We see these stories. Um, Who's that doctor with the gymnasts? You know, he was able to abuse these kids right in front of their parents because their heads were in the sand about it. Yeah. And so I think it's just the the best thing we can do is stay informed, keep the risks, minimize the risks, minimize the perception. And I think that's the best we can do to stay sane, but also to keep our kids out in the world and healthy. All right, you guys, as always, rock on. We'll see you next time. All right. I'm going to sign off for today. You can always go to jamieglowacki.com for the super cool latest updates, including the launch of my new book, yummy new book presale treats, when we release new episodes, and how to work with me directly. And of course, if you need any potty training help, there's a handy link there that will take you to all my potty training resources, including all my courses. That's the Oh Crap Potty Training online course, my pooping solutions course, and my night training supplement. And if you need additional help, how to book with a certified Oh Crap consultant. That's all at jamieglowacki.com. Have a beautiful day and rock on.